I'm Joshua Humphrey. I'm Mike Postel. I'm Brian Watson-Jones. And this is Double Bill. Ooh. Theme song! Double Bill, Double Bill. Comparing culture, it's Double Bill. Putting two things together, it's Double Bill. It's Double Bill. Goes together like chocolate and peanut butter. Like Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. Like a hamburger and a bun. Like baby ducks and staple guns. Record scratch! Double bill, double bill, comparing culture, it's double bill, putting two things together, it's double bill, it's double bill. Welcome back, and this is Michael Postle's episode, because this is his double bill. Michael, you want to explain it? I'd love to. Uh, for our today's double bill, we watched the movies uh, Manhunter and Red Dragon. Both films are uh, based on the Thomas Harris novel, Red Dragon. And the uh, first movie, Manhunter, was released in 1986, and Red Dragon being released in 2002. Red Dragon being directed by... Brett Ratner. Brett Ratner. Manhunter was by Michael Mann. Michael Mann. Um, and clearly the, the biggest, the biggest uh, elephant in the room is in the form of the uh, rubber mask wearing Dr. Hannibal Lecter. Lector, Lector. Elephant in the room? Well, he's he is like the character. In 1991, uh, Demi came out with Silence of the Lambs, sure. which, which introduced, I think, mainstream audiences mm-hmm. and people who are not familiar with Tom Harris's novel to the character of Dr. Hannibal Lecter and the mm-hmm. cat and mouse games between he and uh, uh, Aiden Starling, uh, Clarice, uh, played by Jodie Foster, Academy Awards up the wazoo, five total. And then we have uh, this movie that came out, Actually, as a prequel to Silence of the Lambs, uh, Red Dragon, which came out after the sequel, Hannibal, was released. That terrible, terrible turd of a movie. Uh, And I wanted to watch Manhunter because, again, it's the exact same movie. So the plot for both, a very quick uh, synopsis, is that uh, Special Agent Will Graham is tapped by the FBI to help out uh, find a serial killer. (laughs) And uh, he's hired to do it because he's uh, gifted. And in order to help do a profile on him, the FBI decides that he needs to, in order to help him find the tooth fairy, he has to go solicit the help of Dr. Hannibal Lecter, who is in prison, who he put away, and is the actual reason for his retirement, um, which they actually get into, and we can talk about more in Red Dragon uh, with the opening scene. Hello, monster. So uh, <laughs> The cat has joined us. The cat has joined us. We have a special guest. Um, India now, uh, Manhunter, I feel very strongly about sure. showing up as a kid. Uh, they used, it was one of those movies that they used to have on uh, Channel 9, mm-hmm. edited to hell. My dad, my dad the cop, used really to Really edited? Uh-huh. I know. For, for not a lot of like dirty or bloody stuff in it, it was still fairly heavy edited because there was cuss words in it. Mm-hmm. You know? was, it was there more boobs in... Manhunter? No, there was almost there was no. Boobs. I don't remember anything. Yeah, no, no. I, no. I, from what I remember, it's more of uh, Will Graham's chest. Yes, you see a than lot. Anything. You see a than lot anything of, else. And and his short, his, his short lower butt cheek, the swell of buttocks, wearing those light pink jobbies while he's doing this turtle farm. Um, anyway, Manhunter. Uh, Manhunter. Who played, <laughs> who played him? Who? What was the name of that actor? Who uh, Will Peterson. Graham? Peterson. William Peterson okay. was playing Will Graham, and uh, William Peterson comes off of uh, at the time his hot stuff was uh, to live and die in L.A. So he was actually, and uh, you know, back in the late '80s, mid '80s, they had a lot of those like thriller genre, mm-hmm. and I find mm-hmm. that with Manhunter, it was more of a thriller procedural versus Red Dragon, which was more of a thriller, almost horror piece. 
You know, like a scary. Oh yeah, they definitely yeah, played up I a lot see more theme wise, thematic. Red Dragon, not to get too much into like connections yet, because right. we're just summarizing them. But uh, in 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 Manhunter, yeah, with a sixteen year difference, we have sixteen years worth of movie tropes, which we'll be getting into. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Manhunter, I I used to like it when I was a kid. You scare me as a kid. Um, and all I remember is Anna, um, Anna got a Davida at the end. Like the very final music is was very you know in mm-hmm. slow motion. And with Red Dragon, Red Dragon, I'm I'm a bit of a Ratner apologist on this one. I think because I watch it and I still I still frequently rewatch it, probably once a year, and sometimes around Halloween is a scary movie fest with Silence of the Lambs. So let me explain, like in terms of like my uh, coming to these films, because I'd never seen Manhunter okay. like, before, like last Friday. I'd seen Red Dragon before because I think I came out while I was in college, and like the thing to do was like, oh, everybody loves Silence of the Lambs. Everybody, lo- well, maybe not love Hannibal, Hannibal but uh, there was saw so Hannibal because Hannibal Lecter is such that, like you said, I think before he's very indelible. He's really very much in the public consciousness. Mm-hmm. Like I mean, you, it's really. A popular villain. He's now. a popular villain. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's on like you know the top 100 villain list of AF, that AFI puts out or whatever. Uh, and so you know you went to see Red Dragon, and I remember it being good. I remember it being, I really liking the film when it came out. Oh, you did. Yeah, I okay. did. Did did I, did I say I not well, liked I, it before? I think maybe my personal thing is that I think Ratner. It, it was before Brett Ratner was became even, Brett Ratner. Brett Ratner. Right. right. Yeah. I mean, uh, and I, I don't even think I was cognizant of the fact that he was the director on it, or even his name, really. Which is to the, which is to his credit. Which is mm. to his credit. Uh, but I'd never seen Manhunter before, and um, when we get into it a little later in terms of comparison, com- comparing the films. Uh, it's they're they're different, but they're also very the very much the same. Which is why like the plot is the plot. It's you mm-hmm. know uh, Will Graham is brought out of retirement. Hannah Lecter is brought in to uh, uh, create a profile. Create a profile for the Tooth Fairy, who's uh, Francis Dollarhide is the name. Yes, and uh, there's the same beats almost in terms of like the plot. But but you hadn't seen either of them. Yes, I had. I came into this, I'd seen neither of these two movies. I'd seen and loved Silence many, many years ago. I saw Hannibal when it came out and it was one of the first films where it took me a long time before I was able to criticize films as bad mm-hmm. or really any art form where I could really sit there in judgment of them. And that was one of the first because I sat there like, no, this is what you screwed up, this is what you screwed up. It could have been a good movie. And that actually, Hannibal left such a poor taste in my mouth about how Hannibal Lecter was being treated these days that I intentionally didn't see Red Dragon because of that. I thought it would be just more of that taste and just ruin Silence of the Lambs a little bit more. And seeing it now, I was very pleasantly surprised. Cool. It, it definitely had more of the silence feel than the Hannibal feel. Well, let's start with Manhunter mm-hmm. and talk a little bit more about what we liked in that film. And then we'll talk about what we liked in Red Dragon a okay. little bit more. Uh, Manhunter, I really... It, it was very It's very 80s now. Like, <laughs> in, incredibly 80s. Like, with the 80s since the synth score. Like that was all, the, all yeah. the underscore was, per, was pervasively synth. Yeah. And it was... Uh, and have you, have you guys seen the TV show? Miami Vice, Michael Mann's baby. Like, no, not even as a joke. A little bit. Uh, the joke. I mean, that was the other thing. Like he an was, ironic hipster way I've seen. Yeah. No, well, I mean, you mentioned <laughs> before. You mentioned Michael Mann was another sure. video guy mm-hmm. who made his jump over, and he had his little hipstery Miami Vice with Don Johnson and Philip Michael Thomas. And in the movie, it just kind of like brings that feeling out for me. If we're talking about it from a from a dated '80s piece, but the the, the jump cuts doesn't really flow supremely well and then like when the when the synth does come in there's no like sense of like almost foreboding or like how we consider movie scores like 
swell within us. This is just like well, as, as we were watching it, you know, right. I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't even made such a, I, it wouldn't have come into my brain as much if you hadn't mentioned like the scoring, like because after you mentioned, it, I was like, oh wow, yeah, this is really eighties. Mm-hmm. Like I was like keyed into on it, well, yeah, but and like and but watching something else like recently too because I've been going through the Nightmare on Elm Street yeah. films. Dream Warriors or no Dream Master that has a hugely eighties uh, soundtrack and it's really jarring in comparison to like uh, the one for Manhunter. Like well, I, even, I, if you wouldn't have if you wouldn't have pointed it out, I probably wouldn't have noticed. And even really quick, the even the original Nightmare, the original West Craven Nightmare. Think about every time they're they wake they're in the dream world. There's that like they're just you could tell somebody's mm-hmm. just like coked up and rocking that keyboard mm-hmm. you know and like playing with the different sound effects so. yeah and it's definitely a style just beyond it being a synthesizer because if you listen to like the synth music in a John Carpenter film from the 80s right it's usually much more foreboding and much more mm-hmm. fit to the movie partly because he's doing it right but it, it doesn't have that that weird like I can tell this guy is a terrible rat tail the guy who's playing the synthesizer right now I can hear the rat tail He's probably got a synthesizer and a guitar. Mm-hmm. And I don't know anything about, besides the scoring, like uh, in terms of the directorial touches of Michael Mann. The only thing I really noticed was the blue filter. Blue, yeah. The guy mm-hmm. loves his blue filter about as much as, uh, what's his by James Cameron. Mm-hmm. Like, he he blew the shit out of everything. In fact, I almost don't even remember any piece of that movie not being blue. Yeah, well, it's, some, it's were, for, some of the 80s pastel clothing wouldn't have fit under a blue filter. Right. So we know parts weren't. Because you don't see that color orange. I think, the out, I think some of the outdoor shots, mm-hmm. some of the long shots, but most everything else was like severe. Well, blue wasn't the blue filter used like they were shooting during the day for night scenes and they just blew Some of them. Probably, yeah, a yes, couple of them. Yes. The, the moon was way brighter than the moon ever is. So. Well, that also plays that, that line plays particularly uh, the moon because he's a full moon killer. Mm-hmm. You know, and so the, the time, the, the clock is ticking for them because they need to find out who he is, who the serial killer is targeting by the next full moon. Have you ever seen Blood in the Moon, Will? It looks quite black. Yes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think... Brian, Brian, I, uh, yeah. I want to ask you this, because you are not fam- you weren't familiar at all with the plot line going into it. No, right? no, I did not know. So I, did I it work for you as like a mystery slash thriller? It did, yeah. I mean, obviously, Manhunter played it differently than Red Dragon. Manhunter was much more reserved with showing us the actual villain. Mm-hmm. So it, it held off on showing him, showing his face or showing his actions for longer than Red Dragon did. And it made it, it made him a more intimidating character to have no sense of him at mm-hmm. all, that he was this mysterious force thing. And then you managed to get it down to a person. They picked a good Because I don't think he really appears. For like a, you don't get a, a sense while. of yeah. like an hour into this, the film, maybe? Does he not show up until the, the journalist is kidnapped? Am I remembering that right? You, you, yeah, that's right. I think yeah, you're so right. he, he, our first introduction is the journalist's introduction, and he's this creepy character in a uh, pantyhose mask. Yeah, it comes mm-hmm. down to right below yeah, his right nose. Below his right nose. on his lip. Uh, yeah. And I can, can I point out, it's played by... Francis Dollarhide is played by Tom Noonan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, tall motherfucker. He's yeah. a tall, tall motherfucker. Um, um, disconcertingly my, gentle voice. Yeah, he's very. He's got that really. He could be like a, a social studies teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, my my nerdy IMDb brain talk, thinks about like the next the year after he did this movie. He played Frankenstein in the Monster Squad. Interesting. Huh. Uh, but yeah, Tom Noonan's like delivery was much creepier, much more like this is a guy that might have a windowless van. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. It, <laughs> you know the type. Well, you know. You know the type. <laughs> I come here. 
Uh, anyway, he's... Skip his house on Halloween. I got rid of that windowless van. <laughs> <laughs> but we were going to trick it out to look like the A-Team. Uh, anyway. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the... Uh, so, anyway, uh, Mo- Brian, more about how your your initial feeling on it. Yeah, and my initial feeling, I If you I If you watch it. this movie, uh, mm-hmm. if somebody said, you should really check out Manhunter uh, as, a, as kind of a scary thriller, and if you want something to, like, kind of, like, be like, ooh... Would you say, yeah, I, it worked for you? Did you like it? I did. I mean, I had to, obviously, I had to get past the 80s flavor, which is always, for me, has always been distracting in the sort of movies where I, I just have to say, okay, Highlander's a good film. It's very 80s, but we can get past that. Right. Um, <laughs> so I had to get past that a little Overcoats bit. Overcoats and Samurai Swords. Right. right. And there were definitely it's scenes it's where I was like, wow, they, they make pants bigger than that now. Um, and, but as a mystery, as an investigation, it worked for me very, very well. Like, I was very pleased with it. And fortunately, I had a little warning going in from you, mostly, uh, that like Hannibal Lecter was going to be a much smaller character, that the movie, I shouldn't be focused on him in this movie, even though it, even the box pitched it as the origin of Hannibal Lecter's legend. Yep. Yeah, it, got, it got a lot of wide re- re-release when Red Dragon came out. Of course it did. Yeah, it got, yeah, it got the huge pop-up. Yeah. And uh, moreover... Um, and we'll, we'll again we'll get into some more of those differences I think when we get to like just yeah he's in it for like literally five minutes and, right he's got two and scenes. honestly he doesn't do much other than like say a couple things and I liked his delivery I like Brian Cox's Brian Cox yeah. Yeah. he was good yeah. I liked him a lot I mean it's yeah. it's hard to divorce Anthony Hopkins from Hannibal Lecter mm-hmm. but I really liked Brian Cox I yeah, felt it was a very different he, different portrayal he yeah. wanted to he well from what I read he wanted to portray it like this a very famous Scottish serial killer and I never I mean honestly I'd never heard of Brian Cox and remember that he was Brian Cox until like I saw Braveheart and I was like I think I remember that guy I looked him up and oh it's your uncle Argyle <laughs> so um, okay and do you have like any other like feelings like other feelings through? that I have about this it, what I, are I, your feels what are my feels I liked it I didn't think it was I think I, th- I think I said this before. I didn't think it was like any kind of great shakes mm-hmm. as a film, but I thought it worked really well. I thought it was serviceable, I guess you could say. Hmm. You know, in terms of just sure. as what a it was, police thriller. Yeah, I mean, I, I I from what I was reading online, it didn't get a lot of like box office draw. No, mm-hmm. uh, they didn't even want to call it. They didn't. They did not want to call it Red Dragon at the time. They they said there was a conflict, it. right? Yes, they said that uh, the the movie <laughs> nerd. Year of the Dragon came out. That's right. Uh, oh. Which has absolutely nothing to do with serial killers, Hannibal Lecter, or, you know, Tooth Fairies. Right. And the Year of the Dragon came out, so the producer said, we're going to strike it and we're going to call it Manhunter, which I think even Brian Cox said was very generic and not very yeah, it is. not very palatable. Yeah. It, well, it, that sort of thing happens all the time. I mean, Avatar and The Last Airbender came out in the same year. And yeah, and that's confusing right. a little bit. Right. So we don't we don't want people thinking that Ghost and Ghost Dad are the same movies. So. <laughs> Although uh, on the next double bill, <laughs> no, no, no. All right, I'm writing that down. No Ghost, no Ghost Dad. God damn it! That is why gonna be. All, why are so many of your notes just are our ideas denied? And here I was gonna say we should watch uh, Memento and Leonard Part Six because they have the character Leonard. <laughs> Should we move on to Red Dragon? Yes, please. Let's. Yes. So, um, I, I've only seen this twice, I okay. think. Uh, and I really enjoy Edward Norton in it. Yeah. And I don't typically enjoy Edward Norton in things. Uh, he's really... Dis- he distracts me sometimes. Why? Because I, I, I can't get behind his... Ed Norton-ish? His Ed Norton-ish. Gotcha. 
It's just my problem. I don't know why. But I love him in, like, Death to Smoochie, like, a lot. I love Death to Smoochie. I don't know why I love Death to Smoochie. Death to Smoochie, but I do. <laughs> it's a dark-ass comedy. It is. It is mm-hmm. a dark comedy. I don't know if it works on every level, but I'm talking more about Death to Smoochie than I am about Red Dragon. <laughs> it's all right. But, uh, okay. Death to Smoochie, another remake of the Thomas and I think, Harris. And I think movie. I want to be able to... Yeah, Thomas Harris. <laughs> Originally, Hannibal Lecter was in Death to Smoochie. Um, so, Which would be a much more interesting film for Death to Smoochie. Oh, that'd be a prequel. Write that down. Um, okay, so... You hear that, Hollywood? So we've that one's got, free. So we've got... Uh, and I, I, I kind of... And I'm going to draw a couple of quick allusions to to like Manhunter because the, again the oh, characters are the exact same uh, in, in I think Red Dragon and again with uh, with Ed Norton you know because Ed Norton nerding out actor wise is very natural he plays mm-hmm. him, he plays a variation on the yeah he is very guy. natural it's, yeah it's, it's, very like yeah, it's a very you know, here to the every man it's actor. not crazy over the top you know mm-hmm. um, but you, you look at some of the other cast members in uh the uh, detective, uh, I'm sorry, the FBI agent played by Dennis Farina in Manhunter is played by Harvey Keitel. Um, the blind love interest played by Joan Allen is played by Emily Watson? Uh, yes. In, uh, yeah, Emily Watson? Yeah, Emily Watson. And uh, in Red Dragon, uh, which we have as a prequel that comes out after the sequel to Silence of the Lambs, uh, we have the role of Francis Dollarhide is played by Rafe Fiennes. Mm-hmm. who uh, takes the source material, which is Francis Dollarhide in the book is uh, crazy because he was abused as a kid. Uh, he was, he's got a cleft palate that had surgery. Right. And in the book, they talk about the fact that he is physically, supremely, extraordinarily imposing and soft-spoken. Uh, and in this case, Ray Fiennes, <laughs> let's, let's pump this asshole up. I mean, the first right. time we meet the character, which is earlier... Uh, he is he's lifting weights and mm-hmm. he's getting himself pumped up like Hans and Franz pumped up yeah. and and Ray Fiennes is not little skinny snaky Voldemort in this he is he's one yeah, big he's motherfucker pretty built so pointing he's out, good too he pulls a Christian band he, he does he's he's very good and uh, he's good for completely the other reason his, his, mm-hmm. he's quietly intense uh, his quiet intensity but yeah I think as Will Graham he doesn't play it as loud or as like you know in your face as William Peterson did it but mm-hmm. Edward Norton really plays like the whole like um, the, he's got a scene where he's with his wife Molly and they're sitting down and she doesn't want him to do it and he says he's got to do it because he's like he goes I really think if I do this I can save some lives right and he said and I think that's the other thing that Red Dragon does for me personally is that where Manhunter is like almost a straight up procedural could be, could have been any horror movie about a serial killer. Red Dragon really brings these characters and has a really talented fucking cast mm-hmm. uh, of mm-hmm. people. Not just anchor- and it's not just anchored by Anthony Hopkins playing Hannibal Lecter this time around. Who we all at this point we all know what Hannibal Lecter is capable right. of in the modern sure. games. He doesn't really need an introduction. No, 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 no. And so um, and oddly he gets more of one than he doesn't. Manhunter. That, yeah, thank you. And that's my, that's one of my favorite parts is that they open the movie mm, not yes. with, and that's, I'm sorry, so in Red Dragon the movie doesn't open up with like a, a protracted credit scene where we see a serial killer like stalking their first mm-hmm. prey. We have the introduction of Hannibal Lecter as a person. Now, even if there was no Silence of the Lambs, even if you treated this like I'd never seen Silence of the Lambs, mm-hmm. you know that he's pretty well to do. Uh, he's a smart guy. He's annoyed by a shitty flautist he's in very, the orchestra. He's very cultured. Very he cultured. cares very much about he, culture being right. He cribs. He, he has the nicest condo in yeah, wherever he's living. Baltimore. Baltimore. Yeah, he's mm-hmm. cribbing Horace, you know, and he's inviting the board of directors, and they're all. But because 
and again, because you know who he is, and they're talking about a word that Flautus has been missing for a few weeks, and they're all eating, and they're like, mm, how did you make it so amazing? I'm his bush. <laughs> uh, and you're like, uh-oh. If I told you what it was, you wouldn't eat it. So, uh, but then subtle you get, tea. Yeah. Subtle tea. But then you get Sludge the introduction hammer. of Will Graham meeting him, and you're like, oh. And then the shit goes down. Spoiler alert, as shit does. And you're like, wow. So that's how he was arrested. And then the opening credits are a la Seven, where it's serial killers like cutting out pictures of the trial sure, and putting yeah, them in the book. A little bit of a montage yeah, sort of yeah, 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 yeah. And it's accumulation and, of a damaged mind. Right. And so, for me personally, uh, before I turn it over to you guys, I like Manhunter, and I know a lot of people, or I like, sorry, Red Dragon. I like it because, not because it's a Brett Shittner movie, but because... Um, <laughs> I don't think that's his name. But I like it because, in terms, he utilizes aping. Very well. Is this he, your defense? Yes. And I want to I point this out. The movie looks almost precisely like its predecessor, Silence of the Lamps. There are the facey close-ups. We all know the plot is. Mm-hmm. There are, there's like the Danny Elfman ripped off score. And I just, I just enjoy the shit out of it. I mean, mm-hmm. the acting is stellar. Really stellar. And the pace mm-hmm. is great. So, yeah. Uh, what did you feel? Because, you, again, you've never seen it before. Right, right. I hadn't seen it before. I, I really liked it, too. I mean, like I said, it was much closer to a Silence of the Lambs feel than it was to a Hannibal mm-hmm. feel. Like, uh, he aped the correct movie, yeah. at least. Yeah. Um, I didn't really have any issues with Ratner. I mean, Ratner, he's not... I definitely have directors where I just will not see their movies. I know I will hate them. He is a guy who I... I need to take that extra step of seeing what the movie's going to be like. Like, some of them are going to be terrible. Some of them are going to be fine. This one was fine. I had no issues with him. Um, I don't want to get too much into comparisons, obviously, because we haven't quite gotten to that step yet. But um, as a movie, I enjoyed that one, too. I mean, it was much less 80s, obviously. Um, And as such, it was much closer to, like, my sensibilities about film. The cinematography was much crisper, Mm -hmm. much sharper. The edits were better. Um, Well, the technology is so much Yeah, the technology. It's just everything getting digital has made everything much... In this sort of film, it helps. It helps a lot. It helps thrillers keep moving along. It keeps them very sharp and very clear. Um, So, on that sense, I enjoyed it more. And even having seen Manhunter, you know, an hour before watching them back to back, there were still some surprises in there because things were treated differently. Mm -hmm. I haven't read the initial novel, so I don't know which one was more faithful to it. From what I read online, I think the Red Dragon is much more faithful to the book. That Mm -hmm. makes sense. I mean, at that point, Thomas Harris would have more power. Yeah. Yeah. Clout, exactly. And, like, the screenwriter, I think, purposely made a better adaptation. Right. Mm -hmm. And maybe we'll talk about that later. Yeah. But uh, I liked the flow of this Red Dragon a lot. It's not that I didn't like the flow of Manhunter, but I liked mm-hmm. how this movie kind of moved between the scenes. And the same thing you were talking about with the opening scene with Will and Hannibal. Uh, just their that playoff that they have then like pays off later in the film when mm-hmm. they kind of come back together, uh, which makes it much more effective. Yep. And there's much more layering in the film too of uh stuff about francis dollarhide which i really enjoy uh, a much better picture of the serial killer himself mm-hmm. what made him the way he mm-hmm. is yeah although so. I, I, although I, yeah. Uh, that's one thing i did dislike about it actually was uh there's uh his mother 
her presence in the film. His grandmother, yeah. thank yeah. you. Uh, they ru- they ran a sort of like senior care center or mm-hmm. a hospice. I can't remember what it was precisely. Mm-hmm. But uh, he was uh, under the care of his grandmother, and his grandmother was an overbearing, like, hellion, basically. Right. Uh, abusing him, probably doing, uh, maybe molesting him. You, don't, you never really got the sense that... Pair of scissors or a clothespin. Yeah, whatever, something yeah. like that with his, reminds with me his of the, penis. Reminds me of the dead zone, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was it was it was, it was definitely was seedy, just... but it was also a little too much for me. Like in terms of, I didn't need that. It it turned it out. It, I felt very much like it was really aping Psycho. Like, and right. and I think and and on that on that note, you're right. I think that the uh, I think that what you have is like, and they did it with VO. They did it with voiceover. You know, like. You hear it mm-hmm. while he's working out at the beginning and, and showing like, stuff on the walls. Yeah, and you're just like, hmm. Her portrait. Are we? Are we? And that's. I think we can. We can probably go on for hours about how movies now need to like force the backstory and like just unnecessarily like layer things up. And really, we just need some a really occasionally straight narrative. What I did yeah. really, I liked really the portions with Reba in them. Yeah. Uh, she was that actress. I like that actress. Uh, I don't know how well she played blind, but she I thought she did a fine job. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like what I liked though was her wandering in the house and like there's various shots of her kind of like running her hands along like the wall and, and it's actually Frances Dollarhide's like Mason Dentures, Dar, yeah. Denture and stuff. Yeah, just like if she would see she would be like things. really creeped out by it but since she can't see yeah. it's perfectly fine. And missing that the mirror is and they, Yeah, they do mm-hmm. things with the yeah, they do things with the the, the toothpicks when she first they first meet and they he, she sticks the toothpicks in so she gets a sense of where to start distance cutting. and yeah. space yeah mm-hmm. but you know again actor I like choices. that I like that moment actually yeah. I I thought that was really cool yeah clearly some research went into that and when he first uh, well and even moments. when he first met her and his whole Dalhite's whole thing as a character uh, both on paper and film is that you know the the hair lip and the and the self consciousness uh, is is going all the way back into his brain, you know, and so mm-hmm. while you see him doing like stuff like this, you know, a lot covering his, yeah, because you can see me covering my mouth. Um, <laughs> they can probably hear it. Actually. Yeah, but but then you know he sees her when the first time he he lays eyes on her and realizes that she is blind. You know, mm-hmm. it just he doesn't even know what to think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's that that that's yeah. yeah and later on, stuff. when she does start to touch his face, there's this wonderful moment where he's like he's shuddering. Mm-hmm. In this, this, he's sense scared of it. Yeah, he he feels very vulnerable in that moment, and it's a it can be a very terrifying thing. It was a nice real moment. Well, he's profiling the next family. He's about right. To kill. Yeah, that's a well, really interesting know, moment. Keep your work life and your personal life separate. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if we can go much further into either film without talking about both of them. Yes. So yes. Why don't we take a break and we'll be back with comparisons. back to talk about comparisons and i think uh we actually picked a really hard double bill to like talk about right out of the gate because <laughs> sorry uh, there's no no, no I, I didn't realize this until we were actually talking about it but like how do i even separate these films because they're so like close together mm-hmm. just in terms Wait. of the plot and dialogue yeah. shit mm-hmm. and do it and while doing these sort of things it could go either way it could also be like training wheels for comparisons because it's very easy to compare the exact same plot done twice it is because it, it is basically the exact same plot mm-hmm. I mean the only difference really is the layering in of Francis Dollarhide I think a little mm-hmm. bit more into the yeah. narrative and uh, the the ending, se- the beginning and the ending sequences, the yeah. Will, mm-hmm. uh, Hannibal stuff, and then the 
uh, spoiler, spoiler at the end, mm-hmm. Francis Dollarhide doesn't really die uh, right. in Red Dragon, and he comes back to haunt uh, Will and his wife and down son. Down yeah. in Marathon, Florida. Yeah, they have a fake-out ending. Significant, and you know, and, and again, this is a strike against Red Dragon, significantly less heartbeat... <laughs> I was saying, what if they'd done the exact same soundtrack with no explanation? Would have been a thing. Oh, uh, okay. So first <laughs> up, cool. first up, so set needs. Five years before, five years before, uh, Silence uh, swept the Academy Awards with tremendous performances with, by Joey Foster and uh, Anthony Hopkins. We have, uh, yeah, it's mired in eighties eighties crap. You know, I mean, the synth score, which is, I mean, everything works in its favor as a movie, as a standalone. Yeah. We've already said that. But with uh, Manhunter, I think it's it still pushes the, the energy forward. Yeah. That's the bottom line. And it's more of an energized, we have a cast that's more energized with apparently, I guess, well, it's the 80s, so cocaine. Um, let's get that out of the way. No, but I mean, think about, like, uh, let's let's skip ahead to the end. Um, mm-hmm. At the end of the movie, Ain't I Got a Davida, you know. Which one? Uh, Man, uh, Manhunter. Okay. Sorry, with that one first. Yeah, I mean, with this movie that's already been like let up with nothing but synthesizer scores, you know, uh, the similar scenes. At the end, you know, the showdown takes place with the Iron Butterfly, butterfly. right? And uh, what yeah, happens? Slow motion run through a glass window. And and what happens? It's not like the end of of Red Dragon. Manhunter ends with like the slow motion run through with the ginormous stunt guy in a gray William Peterson yeah. wig <laughs> bursting through not just a, a window, like a window with like cross hatching and stuff like that. So clearly this guy's like a linebacker, you know. Um, and then the big shootout, which ends the life of Francis Dollarhide. Um, uh, yeah, but I mean, do you like Manhunter's ending better than Red Dragon's? No, no, it works well, for the movie. It, it, it works is. for the movie. It's fine, but yeah. like uh, for Red Dragon, the ending with uh, Dollar Hyde coming into Will's space—that's mm-hmm. much more intimate and it's much more interesting. Yeah. And I mean, it, that's it, in the original novel. It I, is more frightening. I mean, there was an interesting character thing to Manhunter in in that William Peterson or Graham the character name, does rush into the house ahead of everybody else and against orders mm-hmm. because he's driven by this mm-hmm. need you know, to save. Yeah, this mad need to do something. Whereas in Red Dragon, they get there and the place is on fire. I mean, there's no orders to stay out because it's on damn fire. I it mean, blows the shit up. Right, you know, because, you know, it's full of wheelchairs. They're and, highly and explosive. And gas tanks. Well, yeah, probably that too. Oxygen. Uh, yeah, we were thinking about, blows We were thinking up. there were oxygen tanks in this mm-hmm. place. Yeah, whatever. It's a good Whatever, place. I don't know. Brett Ratner blew it's up by a house. swamp, it's maybe good. a swamp yeah, gas. Whatever. Who knows? There were less explosions than there could have been. Good restraint, Ratner. And uh, and and with Red Dragon, uh, we have better. I mean, like you said, uh, everything everything about the quality of filmmaking is better. We're comparing digital with, you know, like reel to reel. Yeah. Um, I, I one, one thing. A I lot remember, of people would jump on you and be like, "What? No, digital well, filmmaking. Me, that's me, terrible." I just remember my if For I can certain things. If I can pull this, a reaction I remember you guys having was. Uh, and we are a bit all over the place. <laughs> We've got at the end with Reba trying to find her way out, you know, and and the whole the whole fakeru mm-hmm. with the with the shotgun self inflicted shotgun wound, and she's like putting her hands on the ground, and she puts her hand. Oh, and she puts her God. hand yeah. in Mandy. Yeah, and Ralph, <laughs> Mandy is a fool. Ride with me. 
It would be for my pleasure. So, uh, why does he sound like Schwarzenegger? I don't, I don't know. know. I don't Everybody know. He puts does. his hand, thing. but he puts his hand, her hand in Mandy's face, and you yeah. both went, "Ooh!" Yeah. <laughs> it was like, well, it was yeah, because moment, right? It was well. well you never done. get that. I mean, t- you never get that tactile. I mean, there's so. Yeah, I, I've yeah. watched a lot of horror movies where faces are blown apart, but you're, you don't have like somebody like going in afterwards and like touching <sighs> yeah, it. Right. And it was the way it was shot, also, because it wasn't like show the body and show her hand leading up to it. Give us the the anticipation it was pan down with her hand f- lack of face hand jerks back camera jerks back so we just get it for a second mm-hmm. so we sort of experience it with her is like what's this oh god that's bad <laughs> yeah that's really bad yeah yeah i literally like that part actually that was a that was a really fun bit um so like like the gore and stuff that was done a lot better in Red Dragon I think I feel they did a lot more and they they also like when they I think they knew to play it up when Will yeah. Graham was having his moments of seeing from the killer's point of view um, a shared moment within the two of them and what I like about police procedurals like this movie is that they they don't just have like we're in a race against time and then we have action 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 mm-hmm. it's a lot about um, it's a lot about like the thought process that goes behind. Yeah, I'm going to send in this profiler who has the gift. I mean, both of them are, are told are said to say they have a gift of being able to put themselves within the killer's mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, in Red Dragon, Hannibal puts it points it out. He's like being creative. You are you have the ability to think abstractly and creatively, and so with that, he's able to be like, you touched her. You had to take your gloves off and you yeah. had to touch her, and so he's like, I think he touched her eye. And that's where they got that partial latent print, and they got it in both movies. Mm-hmm. However, in Red Dragon, you see the glass eyes, you know, and you mm-hmm. get the whole the doll hit it like a doll's eyes, black eyes, um, and you get like Red Dragon does the whole layering of I think Will Graham's uh, problem or his ability gift his gift yeah. uh, does that a lot better his sort the mirroring of his psychology with psychology of ser- serial killers I think yes. that was much better done in Red Dragon. Oliver yeah. Manhunter he does have that moment where. He's on the plane and he's got all the fucking pictures all around. Oh, yeah. And the little girl's like, "Yeah!" And you're like, "Oh, that's that's a good right, scene, dummy." Well, there's so many so many scenes in Manhunter where he's just yelling at nothing. You that's had to touch her, didn't you? Son of a bitch! He's you just yelling yelling at a tree. I'm yelling at a window now. I'm in a, I'm in an airport. I'm, I'm Norton does at, that a lot better in terms of delivery. Right. Definitely. <laughs> they, they set. The, I'm yelling at this glass of water. You had to drink, you didn't you? You son of a. Yeah, I'm gonna drink it now. <laughs> yeah, it's just. Well, I mean. I might be wrong in this. I might not be thinking of it, but was Manhunter one of the first films where the a criminal profiler is the guy tracking the serial killer, as opposed to as opposed to a regular cop who's just really good at putting him into mindset, like someone whose specific job is profiling? Because well, I can't. We can go back to like uh, what's the Hitchcock movie that was quote unquote done in one take about the two kids that put the dead body on oh, the coffee rope? table. Rope, yeah. Oh. Rope was like that where they get their teacher who was smart, and the whole thing is a deductive like. Cat and mouse. For the well, yeah, time. I mean, lots of detective stories do that, but I'm, I'm trying to think if this is the first one where the person's it was job profiler, is the profiler. profiler. Yeah. I think there's been there have been movies about profilers in the past. I don't think there's anyone where uh, the protagonist is specifically meant out to be like a guy who's such a good profiler, you know. And in, and in this case, why I dug Red Dragon, certain aspects of Red Dragon more, is that mm-hmm. with the beginning, you know, where he's working with Hannibal Lecter. Uh, you've got, you know, he's like, he's sitting there, he's like, he goes, I don't think he's collecting. I think he's eating them. And that's like the first time, because we, again, you know Hannibal Lecter. And he's yeah. like, he's like, oh. And he's like, I thought you would have figured that out before me. You're smarter mm. than me. And he's, and then he pretends he feigns insult. Mm-hmm. He's like, now I think I don't think I have your confidence anymore. Mm-hmm. And he's like, and that's where, and again, that's where Norton works. Because he's like, 
No, 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 no. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I didn't yeah. mean to do that yeah. because he knows Lecter. Lecter, mm-hmm. Lecter takes insults. Yeah, and you can also see as he's saying that that little hint of suspicion going mm-hmm. on in his head. Sure. That there is. I've I've got to talk him down, but also maybe I have to be really damn careful right here. Mm-hmm. And it might it might. I mean, it was the way he said, I'm just really tired right now. That That's a total excuse. Right. That's an excuse anybody uses. Oh, I'm sorry I called you by the wrong name, honey. I'm just really tired. But then he goes and gets his planner, and he starts digging through his shit. Mm-hmm. And he finds that, like, French culinary book. And mm-hmm. he sees, like, he sees like the, uh, the hypothalamus, and it says sweet breads. Mm-hmm. And that's just, like, the that's the white moment for mm-hmm. cops, you know, for... Mm-hmm. for uh, uh, fucking Sherlock Holmes, you know? It's like the moment where he's just like, oh, and then, boom! It's like, okay, action movie. Shiv. Shiv in the, uh, the stiletto in the guts, you know? And then the arrows in the guts, and then mm-hmm. the boom, 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 yeah. Yeah. Uh, really, really neat stuff. And mm-hmm. I think that that sets it up and pushes us into a movie. And so when he does come back, and when he eventually does get asked to go talk to him again, it's like, do you want to talk to the guy who literally attempted to disembowel and eat you? And yeah, I think that really is something brilliant about that movie. Is like the the reluctance isn't just like a phantom thing which Manhunter has. It's like yeah. where Dennis Farina is like, you should go talk to Lecter. He helped you before, mm-hmm. you know. And you're mm-hmm. like, ooh, ooh, that's tough. But now you're like, well, well I yeah. don't want him to go talk no. to him. He's yeah, that's dumb. Starting with that flashback was really smart because it set up their relationship right. Like I know, I knew exactly where they were starting out. Even having just seen Manhunter, I had a better sense of. This is where Graham's head is right mm-hmm. now. This is what this guy did to him. Maybe he wouldn't want to go talk to him again, even with a cage in between them. <laughs> and with the eighty standpoint that we were talking about, uh, and I know I gave, I was like playing, you know, commentator through the whole thing. Mm-hmm. My apologies, okay. but with uh, with that magical glass like dot com company, which was the the jail apparently, where <laughs> when you got that long oh, yeah. montage of him running down the stand, <laughs> it looked like the yes. Smithsonian Institute. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I was thinking Guggenheim, the Guggenheim, the Guggenheim museum, yeah. you know, the big oval stair. Mm-hmm. It was very ob- it was ramp. very obvious during this movie that it was a location. There's another location. There's another. Oh, mm-hmm. well, no. Pick up and, he, and he was what on the fourth floor of it. Something Literally, like that. it was yeah. just like mm. yeah. And then he's, well, he, you shouldn't have to walk three blocks to get out of a fourth story. <laughs> and the thing that Demi set up with Silence of the Lambs so well is that Lecter is being kept in a dungeon. Mm-hmm. You know, he's kept in a big, greasy-looking, dark, dank glass yeah, it, front. It's and, Arkham Asylum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like all these other guys are behind bars, but no, not Lecter. He's behind thick plexi with holes in it, so he can sniff and he can have this little like Truman Capote, Catherine Hepburn dialogue with people. Right. Um, Thank you. Yeah, and. But in, in, in Manhunter, I was just like I said, well, it looks like he's in the weekend holding tank and he's probably on a plastic mattress with there, the rest of the lineup. There's so yeah. much that Red Dragon benefits from by having Silence of the Lambs and Hannibal to go before it. It's really yes. kind of amazing. Yeah. I think I think Manhunter works really well. I think both of the films, like if I were just to give them a passing grade, they'd both be like C+, maybe. Uh, so because they're they're very they're very much the same to me, and it's not just in terms of plot, but like in terms of like uh, the performances, like I could say like I liked uh, Anthony Hopkins better as Hannibal Lecter, but Brian Cox was just as just as good. He just had yeah. a different performance, and like the performances are fine in either film, mm-hmm. but uh, and it, 
with I, varying degrees, but it almost sort of just balances out for me. I thought that I thought that uh, Brian Cox was jaunty. Yeah, he had that jaunty say, energy. That that was the one thing that I think he did much much better than Anthony Hopkins. Anthony Hopkins has that air of menace down. Mm-hmm. He's got it, which makes it really hard to not have it. Mm-hmm. Like in that, in, especially in the opening sequence, obviously when no one knows he's a serial killer yet, him talking to the the board of directors of the orchestra and him talking to Will before the turn. There's and so we're bringing much... all of that with us too. Yeah, well mm-hmm. that's true, but there's still there's he didn't play it like nothing was going on. There, there was a little too much sense of foreshadowing, a little too much sense of subtext, where it should have been absolutely nothing. Stab. Yep. Whereas Brian Cox had that. He, he was like the friendly guy who killed a bunch of people and is in prison. Yeah, it's like, I, I don't, I expect this guy to be like, just, again, he had to, he's like, yep, very ten, Will. It's like, he could be just having a conversation. He's like, he's <laughs> right. like you're still that same atrocious aftershave that you wore at the, at the, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, and it, it totally is like, old old you get a bit of a different cadence, yeah. that's true. Oh, yeah. Old buddies meeting up. One's in jail now for eating <laughs> some guys, but other than that, hey, how have you been? Do you know how you call me, Will? <laughs> Pink cars, yellow clovers. <laughs> you could just tell. I, I I got the feeling that Brian Cox's Hannibal had been like chewing on all of this for a lot longer mm-hmm. than mm. Anthony Hopkins's Hannibal had. Like it seems like Anthony Hopkins Hannibal had other things going on in his jail cell. <laughs> like I mean, he was just busy doing other things. Right. He had a cookbook and he was I'm making practicing. drawings. You know, he was, my... he was thinking about other things besides being caught by Will Graham. But it <laughs> seems like himself to juggle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which he probably did in his mind, in his memory place. <laughs> I'm, doing, I'm doing the Shelby Windsor knot here. What do you think, Will? Does it look good? It's a good time. <laughs> um, so anyway, the other thing I think, I think that just. It's really, yeah, it is tough, because it's hard to get away from Red Dragon without, with the Silence of the Lambs oh, yeah. being in your brain. Right. That's... Um, and if I can even point that out, the things that I think that really work, again, in its favor, uh, is Barney. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Barney, they kept... And having the same Chilton. Having the same... Yeah, the same Chilton, too. Yeah. yeah. The, his, his, his world is set up, is set, the characters around him. He put some effort into keeping that all continuous, keeping it all the same. Yeah. I think, and I think there's, that's, keeping that kind of through line is really great. And I think, yeah, I think that works really well to key the audience into it, too. I mean, because they're so set up with Silence of the Lambs. Everybody's seen Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, Yeah. and part of that is riding the coattails of Silence of the Lambs, but part of that is also going, okay, everybody knows Silence of the Lambs. Everyone's going to have that in their head, so we should do this right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think there was other, there were other moments outside of 80s being like, if if we're if we're looking at the '80s Manhunter as being like the loud screaming uh, uh, version of a thriller, and I like this, I, I told you guys I like the subtle things like when Graham first gets done with his interview and he gives the case files to Lecter and he goes up to chill out and he takes his jacket off and he is pitting out mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. nervous armpit sweat up to his elbow all the way down. That moment I was like, oh. They they could have just like blown dry him, made him look all clean and happy, or maybe nervous, act nervous, Ed Norton. But this guy like sits down and takes his coat off because he's scared shitless of talking to this guy still, you know. Yeah. And I think that's that's a great moment. He's more scared even with him behind there than he is walking around that little cage where they talk about Robin Redbreasts in a cage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what more do you guys want to add? Uh, I want to throw out one thing that I preferred about Manhunter because I feel like. Most of our call-outs have been going to Red Dragon so far. Um, Red Dragon 
to me, was a lot more focused not just on Hannibal Lecter, but on Will Graham as a central character. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was a moment in Manhunter I really enjoyed because it felt more real than what Red Dragon pulled off. Red Dragon was very much, we pulled back the old expert, and he teaches us stuff, and he catches the guy, and da-da-da. Um, in Manhunter, he had to prove himself a little more because he was the former agent mm-hmm. who, mm-hmm. Sort of, who sort of went crazy and quit, and now he's coming back to show us up. Um the moment where he figures out the latent fingerprint on the eyeball, and then they get the call uh, confirming that, yes, we found a fingerprint on on the cornea. Um, he gets that call in a room of other FBI agents. Um, Dennis Farina is, of course, in his court. He brought him in. But all the others are just staring at him in kind of awe. Mm-hmm. As like, yeah. how did he figure this out just from going to the crime scene? And it was this nice moment of, this is how he proves that he's useful here. Yeah. And they had nothing like that in Red Dragon. They didn't take the time for that. Yeah, there's a bit of a pizza just, match almost. Yeah. Between Which makes them. And more that's sense. Not, that, does, that disappears after Will proves himself. Right, and that makes sense. But Red Dragon, he's just back. Cool. What are you doing? Well, and you know what? You you bring that up in just one one last bit is that with William Peterson and 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 Manhunter, what happens is there's that moment he's sitting with Josh, his kid, and he says, you know, and Josh is like, why did you quit? And he gives him, he's like, he goes, you know, I, this is what happened, and uh, I had to go see a doctor, and I had, and I kind of like, you know, he's, I lost my shit. And he has that little honest, yeah, but very honest. Ed Norton says nothing about that. We just, we saw him get stabbed. We saw him, like, be attacked by the person he was hunting. And you're expected to go along with that. But I think there was that quiet, honest moment with his kid, where his kid is at probably, you know, 9, 10. That's really, that's really interesting that you, you mentioned that part specifically, because now... I think I had ascribed that to Red Dragon when, uh, remembering it now, it's actually in Manhunter. Mm-hmm. And it just goes to show how these films are just kind of smushing Fuse, together yeah. because yeah. they're so close. They're so close. <laughs> so, uh, anybody out there in podcast land, if you have any kind of comments that you want to make about uh, these movies, uh, you can send feedback to doublebillfeedback at gmail.com. Uh, before we end the show, I do want to ask you two a couple questions I'll answer to. Uh, but I have three questions about these movies and we're going to kind of pick them apart. We've talked about this a little bit already in terms of some of the things we've said. But uh, which movie do you think was the better adaptation? Red Dragon. Probably what Red Dragon, but they both had they both had strengths and weaknesses which were separate. I'm not sure. It might be a better adaptation. I don't know if I could call that out as a better film. Mm-hmm. I'll, a have to, film. I'll have to agree with Mikey that it was mm-hmm. uh, Red Dragon was definitely followed the book closer. If you wanted, if you want your adaptation to follow the book really closely, mm-hmm. it was a better adaptation there. I don't know in terms of in terms of. Uh, just both of them as movies, I felt they were fine as adaptations. I think I would prefer Red Dragon over Manhunter. Yeah, I think I would prefer that, but that's just because of the time it came from. I'm more simpatico with modern movies than I am with 80s movies. Who do you think was a better uh, Lowndes? Freddie Lowndes. God damn it. Oh, well, now that... Because Stephen Lang was Manhunter. Yes. And then Philip Seymour Hoffman was mm. uh, Red Dragon. Ike Clinton, the guy from Avatar, uh, is playing pretty well. Well, here, I think I, I, that's just, it blows my mind. That's why I love these fucking movies, is that, and like, that is Ike fucking Clinton from Tombstone. Mm-hmm. And now he's playing Freddie Lowndes. Now, as his Freddie Lowndes, all right, to answer your question, Philip Seymour Hoffman, because I think the arc of what happens mm-hmm. to Freddie Lowndes it's much again, clearer it's very clear and and from you know in this one he's like has to do his I mean spoiler alert Freddie Lowndes uh, is the 
tabloid reporter that they utilize to try to flesh and try to flush out the Tooth Fairy. And he does so by giving a fake interview, getting a fake interview with Will Graham. And uh, he's a total tabloid rat. He's a he's a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. And in both movies, you hate him. Mm-hmm. You know? And in both movies, he gets his quote-unquote comeuppance, in which case he is set on fire. Yeah. However, and again, Red Dragon, they, they get into exactly what happened in the movie, where he is super glued physically he's in his underpants oh, yeah, and bare gross, skin right? and hair and then and the well the hair where he's like trying to pull his head nope yeah not moving he's super glued to a an antique wooden wheelchair and he gets his lips bit off mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. spit back on him and then set on fire and pushed down a ramp and uh <laughs> he survives for a bit for a bit yeah and then he <laughs> survives long enough to not say anything right and just to know could he like, say he probably would have some problems with saying some stuff well, I think they got into that manhunter like that's how I knew he wasn't dead when they burned him yeah, in yeah. the hospital did he say anything no he didn't no <laughs> uh yeah it's like well yeah the movie 7 well I'm gonna I'm gonna pick it back off your answer because I re- I think that Philip Seymour Hoffman had the better performance I think this that uh and I, I made this comment on uh somebody made this comment to me on Twitter uh, that even though that they too prefer Philip Seymour Hoffman, Stephen Lang was a little bit more naturally scuzzy. Yeah, mm-hmm. he had the chewing gum kind of like, hey, yeah, I'm yeah. doing this. And but again, there's like little tiny things where Philip Seymour sort of chomps. You know, it's like scratch my back, I scratch your back, <laughs> chomps. Yeah, Philip yes. Seymour Hoffman was really gross. Yeah, I, I, I could see. I preferred see Philip Seymour Hoffman, but probably because the movie gave him more to work with. Probably true. And I do agree that. He was. I could see the acting in his case more. And the other guy felt like every ratty '80s reporter that you saw in every movie. The guy who was in Highlander, the guy who was in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, just the annoying reporter that yeah. you have to get around. Except this guy gets burned to death but, in a wheelchair. When, and I, to piggyback again, the scene with uh, Dollarhide and Lounge. Well, do you see? You know, and we, we joked oh, yeah. about that. We joked about that with, with Ray Fiennes. He's like, oh, God. <laughs> oh, God, you're one of them. Um, but then with, with loud-ass, curly-headed, like, loud-mouthed, obnoxious lounge in Manhunter, and then you have the quiet social studies teacher, and it's like that dichotomy is, like, so menacing on its own level. Uh-huh. But at the end of the day, uh, as much as I, I enjoy and I and have a lot of joy from watching Manhunter, I still give it up to Philip Seymour Hoffman. He mm-hmm. he plays like scuzzy, but he plays like you just want to kick the guy in the dick. He's just an asshole. So, okay. Sorry. Final question, <laughs> and this is the this is the big one. Which film had the better Hannibal Lecter? <laughs> Jesus Christ! All right. Well, clearly. Well, don't end with the obvious. Questions. Yeah. All right. So here we go. Sorry, um, I was building up to it. <laughs> so we have. We've, we've already pointed out the fact that Brian Cox does a great job bringing his own personality to a movie before the character had been even fully realized. Mm-hmm. I need to point out, uh, not only do I have a love for these films, uh, and we've already said that I fucking could not stand Hannibal. I think it really took the character, turned him into a superhero almost. Made him the Punisher. It made him the it Punisher. made him the Punisher. Mm-hmm. Right. You don't but, do that with... Uh, Anthony Hopkins is on record as saying that Hannibal Lecter is one of his favorite characters. And revisiting it for each of these subsequent movies he's always found something new he's got a voice his voicemail they had as a as a easter egg on the silence dvd he's like hello and thank you for contacting anthony hopkins this is dr hedda lecter <laughs> and then he finishes up by saying leave a message. he's like leave a message after the tone and like you know it's like he does that yeah it's like come on that's a guy who's got well, a good sense of humor that's just a fun part to play right I mean, if you yeah and he i think he's clearly he's clearly not only gone from like just 
doing like 95% of a movie in the cell face to face with Jodie Foster, but he's like, he's out, he's in the world, he's he's showing you, you know, you've already got his background. So yes, Anthony Hopkins is now, I think, definitively Hannibal Lecter in both my mind, and I enjoyed his performance immensely. Mm-hmm. That said, uh, and, and even in the context of the movie, because he's not a large part of it, but that said, I think that in a movie, if he was even used t- in a teeny tiny piece, you know, like we're just gonna have a teeny tiny scene, you know, with as an Easter egg with Hannibal Lecter where Edward Norton shows up and it's like, I got a couple questions, can you help me out? And then that's it. And then he like does the whole phone thing and like gets the information to send to the Tooth Fairy. Even if he was only like in it for four seconds and not just like the very last scene, like there's a lady here from the FBI, a trainee, you know, like to say, oh, I see how these all tie in together now. We didn't even need that. He would have been fine in like five minutes. Mm-hmm. Instead, we get like a, a, a proliferation of his character throughout the movie and the knowledge of him with as the book ends. But... I, I think that in spite of Brian Cox being great, being the now we know where this guy comes from, and as a as a museum piece, if you ever want to watch Manhunter, which I think everybody would enjoy if they wanted to give it a shot, Anthony Hopkins is the definitive Hannibal Lecter, and will be. Agreed. Brian Cox does a couple of things which I maybe even preferred, but ultimately Anthony Hopkins lives in Hannibal Lecter's skin. Mm-hmm. He has made him his own. He has made him a monster that ends up topping villain lists. He did things that Brian Cox didn't. He made him into this supernatural boogeyman sort my, of feel. My dad, if I can if I can quote my late father, he actually, when we saw Silence Together uh, back in 1991, we sent to Brookdale UA and we saw it, he sat me down and he, my dad, Mr. Cop, because he's an actor right now, uh, he said he said to me, he's like, he goes, you know why he was great? I'm like, why? He's like, he goes, because I didn't see Anthony Hopkins. I never, I've, I didn't once look at that guy and think, well, there's an actor playing a character. Mm. He was Hannibal Lecter. And old man Postel, like, literally spent his life in Vicap and doing, like, violent crimes and helping profilers and working out at Quantico. And so I just, that that's another reason why it's got a huge soft spot, but agreed. Totally agreed. Well, I'm not yeah. going to say anything really original here, so I'll just agree <laughs> with you. <laughs> so, yeah, so anyway, long and short. An accord. Prefer... Uh, Hopkins over. Oh yeah, definitely. Sure, mm-hmm. definitely. I, I, I like Brian said. Uh, there yeah. are a few moments where I really like Brian Cox's mm-hmm. performance, but it's Anthony Hopkins. Yeah. You can't really. The comparison is else. worth making, but the the decision is easy. Well, uh, we'll take another quick break, and then we'll come back with our double bill for next time. Brian, it's your your circus. I will be hosting the next one. I will be doing not dissimilar from this week. It will be two works that were based on the same original story, but it's cross-genre and a little more fancy-ass and academic. Uh, We'll be doing Seven Samurai with The Magnificent Seven. Seven Samurai, obviously the original, Magnificent Seven, a remake, uh, but going from Japanese samurai picture to American Western and just seeing what sort of changes that sort of genre shift create in a product. Excellent. Outstanding. If you want to get a hold of us, you can do so at doublebillfeedback at gmail.com. Our theme music is by the fantabulous Anna Weggle. Uh, you can listen Thank to you. more of her work uh, online at the, her SoundCloud page, which I will link to in the show notes. Double bill, double bill, comparing culture, it's double bill. Putting two things together, it's double bill, it's double bill. Ta-da!
Da 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 da. How about Ghost Dad and Ghost World? <laughs> Ooh.